welcome to the latest Funds Fan Podcast. I'm Kyle Caldwell, your host. I am the Collectives Editor at Interactive Investor. Coming up later on the podcast is an interview with Alex Wright. Alex is the full manager of the Fidelity Special Values Investment Trust and the Fidelity Special Situations Fund. For the first part of the podcast, I'm joined by Tom Bailey, who is the ETF editor at Interactive Investor, to chat through a couple of news items. Tom, let's start off with the stock market sell-off that's been occurring in China. The first question listeners will want to know the answer to is, what's been going on? Yeah, sure. So there's there's lots of things going on, really. But broadly, uh, China is cracking down on its tech companies, so to speak. So since the start of the year, there's been kind of ongoing investigations into the supposed anti-competitive practices of many of China's leading tech companies, so Alibaba, JD, Tencent. But more recently, which has really hurt markets, uh, has been this kind of attempt by the Chinese authorities to to rein in uh, foreign stock exchange listings. So lots of Chinese tech companies have in recent years listed abroad. um, And to get around the kind of complex Chinese rules around foreign investment, um, they've kind of used complex legal loopholes. Chinese government has kind of ignored this for the last uh, decade or so, uh, a bit longer really. Um, but now it's kind of it's come under fire by the Chinese authorities, particularly following the the listing of uh, Didi, which is the Chinese version of Uber, a few months ago. So China has now placed new restrictions on the ability of Chinese companies to to list on foreign exchanges, uh, and and a kind of really big part of this is this kind of um, divergence between U.S. and China. And so U.S. regulators are now talking about they're going to start requiring Chinese companies that list on New York exchanges to allow U.S. auditors better access to company data. Um, Chinese authorities are not happy about this, so they've kind of suggested that Chinese companies shouldn't comply with this when it happens. But then the risk of this is that um, these companies might be delisted from Nasdaq or New York Stock Exchange. So there's all these questions about the future um, kind of uh, longevity of of lots of these big Chinese tech companies, Alibaba, JD, uh, Meituan, which are all listed in New York in recent years, and how long they actually will stay on the record, on the um, on the exchanges. Um, you know, there's no suggestion they're going to be taken off anytime soon. But that risk is you're seeing that reflected in the in the in the decline in prices recently. But there's also some kind of specific things for certain parts of what you can broadly call Chinese tech. So one part of Chinese tech is a big education tech sector. The Chinese government is cracking down on this in terms of they're saying um, they're restricting their ability to offer um, a, a tutoring to, to students, online tutoring. Um, they've they said some of these companies have to go as a not-for-profit status. So this has destroyed the value of several large multi-billion-dollar Chinese companies. And so obviously that's obviously weighed on the share price of individual companies, but it also to some investors it's kind of signified the fact that Beijing is prepared to you know destroy almost a multi-billion-dollar sector to pursue its specific policy goals. Uh, so everyone always said there was political risk when it comes to investing in China, but you know this is it in practice now, uh, and it's kind of it's maybe kind of caused a shift in attitude of of some some investors when it comes to China. And obviously, uh, you can see all this reflected in, in the fund uh, and trust and ETF performance data. Uh, fund managers uh, are typically uh, have been in recent years overweight some of these large Chinese tech companies like Tencent and Alibaba, either in China-focused funds or even in emerging market funds because they're such a big part of the index now. Yeah, that's that's true, Tom, as you mentioned. Yeah, um, Also, some emerging market fund managers have um, heavy weightings towards the China tech giants. I mean, Fidelity China Special Situations, for example, had at the end of June just over 20% of its assets in Tencent and Alibaba. It is a tricky one for full managers as 
both those companies are such a large part of the index. Um, both those two, those two firms, they, they comprise just over 25% of the MSCI China index. So because of that, they have those two stocks have such a big influence on how the overall index performs. And the MSCI China index is what China fund managers are ultimately aiming to beat and outperform in order to have value. It, it does seem that investors have not, uh, at least retail investors, have not been put off um, but by all this and have, in fact, been viewing the fools as a potential buying opportunity. You can see the, the inflow data for funds, trusts and ETFs, too. Um, but it's kind of it's become a topic of an article of faith for investors now, uh, this kind of idea of buying the dip. And often it works, but investors need to be, I think, more cautious when it comes to this, this China situation, because this isn't a sell-off caused by growth scares or interest rate rises where, you know, you can just say, well, I'm in it for the long term. You know, prices go up and down in markets because of these events, they go up, up and down. You just hold out and, and, and in the long term, you know, it should be positive. But, you know, so perhaps the fears around the China tech and China stocks in general are overdone. But the whole episode does raise fundamental questions about the future of some of these companies and also the, the whole political risk of investing in Chinese equities more generally. I mean, we did see on um, Interactive Investor in our uh, top 10 most popular investment trust table for the month of July, both Fidelity China Special Situations and JP Morgan China Growth and Income re-entered the top 10. And both those trusts um, exited the top 10 a couple of months ago. I mean, perhaps this is an indication, as you mentioned, Tom, that um, this does show that some investors are viewing this sell-off in the China equity market as an opportunity to to try and buy the dip and take advantage of the cheaper valuations that have arisen. Of course, one of the golden rules of investing is not to overpay. And yeah, again, it's, it is clear that some investors are viewing the sell-off as an opportunity to buy the dip um, rather than panicking and crystallising their losses. The next news piece we're going to cover is an update for the long-suffering investors in the Woodford Equity Income Fund. Tom, it is not the news that those investors will have been hoping for. Yeah, so we saw the, the latest letter to investors from Link, which is the fund administrator, which is tasked with winding up the fund. So, uh, so far, investors have received four distributions on the sale of, of the fund's assets. But there's still over 100 million of assets left in the funds, uh, which investors are waiting to receive. Obviously, the problem is the money is still tied up in, in, in companies in the portfolio. Uh, and a lot of them are listed, very small, quite hard to sell companies. So links said basically in the letter, don't expect enough distribution until at least next year. Of course, it could drag on even longer than that. We will, of course, keep investors up to date on ii.co.uk when there is further news to report on those remaining assets that are in the Wolfers Equity Income Fund. The final news story we're going to look at is, is the concerns that have been raised by the Financial Conduct Authority regarding some of the ethical and sustainable fund applications it's had across its desk. The regulator said that some of those ethical and sustainable fund applications um, fall below expectation and contain claims that do not bear scrutiny. Tom, you covered this uh, news story. Could you shed some further light on what those concerns are that the regulator has raised? Yeah, so as our listeners will know, in recent years, there's been this kind of increased appetite for ESG funds. And there's also been a big rush of uh, fund houses to, to launch ESG products, right? But the FCA says that they've become, uh, to quote, concerned by the number of poor quality fund applications. Um, so according to the regulator, uh, many ESG fund applications do not contain sufficient and clear information that explains their chosen strategy 
and how this relates to the assets selected for the fund. Um, the FCA gives, gives some examples, obviously unnamed, so you don't actually get the name of any, any of the, uh, the bad applications, but they noted that one was a proposed passive fund that had a, an ESG-related name, but it was deemed misleading as it, as it was looking to track an index that was not actually ESG-focused. So kind of to address this, uh, the FCA has outlined a set of guiding principles for, for fund houses, um, which kind of have stipulations on kind of uh, rules around appropriate naming of funds and also requirements to properly spell out the ESG strategy and goals, et cetera. I mean, it is a, it is a shame that there was a no naming and shaming, but um, I think overall, you know, it's a, it's a good thing for consumers to see that the regulator has been given for management firms a bit of a ticking off in this respect given the potential risks of greenwashing. Greenwashing is a term coined to describe the situation where asset managers push themselves or their funds as green through marketing rather than fully integrating ethical or sustainability factors into their investment processes. In my opinion, it is a very worrying trend. As a starting point, to find the best of breed ethical or sustainable funds that are managed in a genuinely ethical manner, take a look at Interact Investors' ACE40 list of investments, which is comprised of funds, investment trusts, and exchange traded funds. Check out our ACE40 at ii.co.uk slash ii-ace. For our fund manager interview, I'm joined by Alex Wright, who is the manager of the Fidelity Special Values Investment Trust and the Fidelity Special Situations Fund. So Alex, you are a contrarian investor, so therefore like to go against the crowd and have exposure to out-of-favour shares. Does this mean that you solely focus on value shares? So you're right, Carl. The the fund uh, that we run is very much a value contrarian strategy, um, but that doesn't mean, I guess, that the stocks always have to come up. I guess on traditional uh, metrics in terms of value, uh, I would say overall that the fund definitely does have a low price to book bias, and that is the most consistent bias you see in the fund in terms of companies that have um, lower price to book than the market. But sometimes we'll buy some companies actually that trade on quite high price to book if we think their fortunes are, are out of favour. But that would tend to be reasonably rare because particularly nowadays, uh, stocks that have high returns on capital um, tend to trade at, at higher multiples. Um, so overall, I, I would say that the value moniker is a, is a very good moniker for the, the fund overall. It's been a strong um, period for the UK market since last April, really. Given the gearing levels on the trust, which is just shy of 20%, I'm assuming you're optimistic there's still plenty more upside potential to come? Yeah, I'm very optimistic. And, and you're correct that the trust actually breached its highest level of gearing just over 20% um, last autumn. And while we have seen very strong absolute performance um, and also relative to other equity markets since then, uh, I still see very high upside in the strategy. And I think particularly you need to look at the recent strong performance of the UK equity market on a more long-term perspective, because actually the UK market's been a strong underperformer over the prior five years, particularly since the EU referendum. And therefore, you're only really starting to catch up just a small percentage of that underperformance. So I think there's there's plenty more to go for. And that is why that the gearing continues to, to stay high on both my products. 
So where are you finding the best value opportunities at the moment? And could you run through three companies that you think are unjustly being overlooked by the market? So I think the good news is that there's actually opportunity right across the, the market cap spectrum and across sectors in the UK. Um, so most areas of the UK market are actually undervalued. But when you look at some particular areas of opportunity, and certainly for some of the newer ideas in the fund, I would say the consumer discretionary space is a, a really interesting one, because that's been an area where consumer spend has been quite depressed over the, the last five years. Um, and the first stock that we, we bought into in the fund over the, the last year that I wanted to talk about in this area is Inchgate, which is actually now a top five position in the trust and in special situations. It's a global um, distributor of motor cars. And that's an area clearly it was very badly hit in the, the lockdown in Q2 last year as um, showrooms had to be shut and consumers didn't buy cars. But it actually... With the, the downturn, you had a pretty unique environment because normally when there's an economic recession, you see an oversupply of cars. So actually you see a big hit to pricing as well as to volumes. Whereas this time as showrooms and particularly factories were closed, actually what you've got is a shortage of cars because supply actually fell faster than demand. And so in the upturn, you've actually got an incredibly strong pricing environment for Inchgate, which is allowing them to increase their margins, which is very different from a normal um, downturn where you see margin pressure. And then I think the really exciting thing about Inchgate as well, over and above this short-term recovery, is that actually you're increasingly seeing the, the business model of um, motor retail change with much more direct sales and much more continuing um, involvement in the initial seller of the car in after sales uh, because of digital channels. Um, and I think as a distributor, Inchcape can do really well from that, whereas actually there's some challenges to maybe some of the more traditional retail business models, um, which some of the, the other UK um, motor dealers um, still participate in. In terms of a second stock that's worth talking about, um, is mighty so that's another big position in the fund a top 20 position something that we had before um the crisis but we materially added to in the later part of last year because this is a stock that's going through a big uh, specific turnaround uh, the whole support services sector has been through um a lot of turmoil over the last five years with a number of quite large companies really coming a cropper and indeed um, a number of companies actually exit the most obvious of those being Carillion. Um, but that has set up a much better competitive environment for those that are left and also for companies that have gone through big turnarounds um, like Serco or now like Mighty under new leadership, really cleaning up the business, improving the, the balance sheet. And then in Mighty's case, they've also done a substantial refinancing of the business and the acquisition of one of their rivals uh, which was out of previous bankruptcy into serve. So the quality of the business has really improved. At the same time, the amount of competition in the space is reduced. And they're now seeing quite a big bounce back um, as offices and shops reopen because security and cleaning are two big services that, that Mighty do. So again, a, a stock-specific story that we like to see, uh, as well as a sectoral issue, um, which is improving, and a bounce back from, from COVID, but Mighty. And then finally, um, one that I think is, is worth talking about might be seen less as a normal value stock, 
um, is Ryanair, something that we've bought into um, over the last nine months. Uh, and again, is coming up for a top 20 position now. This is a stock that it's really about the changes to the industry because of COVID. So Ryanair has always been the low cost leader um, in um, European air travel. But actually, they've been struggling a bit with labour shortages and increases in costs pre-pandemic, and the stock hadn't been doing very well. I think those issues have really now gone away. There's clearly significant overcapacity in labour in the airline sector as demand has collapsed. And Ryanair are very well equipped to readjust downwards their, their cost base, which they have done. And then there's been a huge exit of capacity in terms of a further cutback from the legacy carriers who have really burned very substantial amounts of cash and produced very large losses in this downturn. So Ryanair's competitive position has, has really improved. And while I think there is a question mark about whether European-wide air travel um, gets back to the, the levels we saw pre-pandemic, I think there's no question that Ryanair will get back to the volumes they, they used to do because they're going to take substantial market share. And with less competition, there's every possibility that actually Ryanair can be quite a bit more profitable business going forward than it was um, pre-pandemic because pricing could be somewhat higher from previously very low levels. Um, and so that's very much an industry trend that we're seeing here that has been brought about by COVID. You mentioned that consumer discretionary is a sector that you're currently favouring. Could you give some more details of why you're overweight that sector, but underweight consumer staples? So, um, so obviously, two of those names we just talked about are, are consumer discretionary names. And indeed, the, the consumer in the UK um, from, since 2015 has been reasonably weak. And so this is a sector that's cheap and, and undervalued. Um, but with the big savings that have been built up through COVID, increasingly the consumer has money to spend and is going out there and, and spending it. And therefore, that's very positive uh, for that sector that's particularly UK biased um, in the UK market. Whereas if you look at the staple sector, that's a much more international sector. So the likes of Unilever, Reckitt's, uh, very international companies and demand for their products are much more stable through time. So they haven't been depressed. And if anything, actually, they got a bit of a benefit through COVID, particularly likes of Reckitt's, where hygiene products, et cetera, people spent more on them. But if you look at what's now happening today is reopening and people are, are spending back again on discretionary items. If anything, sales um, are coming off a bit. And these companies are seeing quite large margin pressure because costs are going up a lot on raw materials. So in a sector which is expensive and that's done well and that is now experiencing margin pressure, that's something that I'm very underweight. Indeed, that's been quite a benefit recently as we have seen profit warnings through um, both of those companies we talked about, uh, Reckitt's and Unilever, uh, which are quite large uh, sector weights in terms of the, the UK market and are owned quite extensively by some of the fund's rivals. As mentioned at the uh, beginning of the podcast, it's been a strong period for the UK stock market over the past 15 months. And there have been some signs in recent months that investors have been returning to the UK market. But to me, the market still remains fairly unloved. There have been a number of overseas companies making bids for UK firms but investors don't seem to be viewing the UK stock market as a bargain. Would you agree with that? 
Yeah, I very much would agree with that. I think the UK market, um, despite strong performance over the last um, nine months, um, continues to be much cheaper than other international markets, um, particularly versus the, the US market, which remains on very high multiples. And I think that the big increase in bid activity that you've seen, which indeed has been very beneficial for the fund, which we've just had Megit, Ultra Electronics, John Lang, all recently, um, is a reflection that UK assets versus assets, either on other stock markets or in private markets, are just at too low a valuation. And to me, it is a surprise that you haven't seen more of a valuation pickup in the UK, given all of this activity. And I think that is just a fact that investors more broadly have been a bit slow uh, to actually increase their, their weight to, to UK equities. And so that's why I think there's one of the reasons why I think there's still such a good opportunity here in UK equities as a whole. And our final question is something that we've been asking all fund managers that have appeared on the podcast since the start of July. Do you personally invest in Fidelity Special Values and also the open-ended Fidelity Special Situations Fund? Yes, I do. So when you look at um, outside of the Fidelity share scheme that everyone at um, a senior level participates in, my ownership of both special values and special sits combined would be my largest personal investment. Um, and I've tended to invest in the trust at times that it's at a discount. And when it isn't at a discount, I've tended to invest in uh, the special situations open-ended fund, which you obviously always buy into at an AV. Alex? Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. The final part of the podcast is our Fund Spotlight feature. For this episode, Liberty Godfrey, Fund Analyst at Interactive Investor, is going to run through one of the funds in Interactive Investor's ACE40 list. Liberty, what have you chosen? So I've chosen Aegon Ethical Equity Fund, which aims to provide a combination of income and capital growth over the long term. It invests in a portfolio of UK stocks and excludes companies that are engaged in unethical activities, whilst integrating environmental, social and governance considerations within their analysis of companies. The investment process is focused on lesser researched areas of the UK market, which results in a bias towards mid and small cap companies. The fund is around £630 million in size and is managed by the highly experienced manager, Audrey Ryan, who has over 26 years' experience in the industry. Could you run through um, a bit more details regarding the ethical process of the fund? Yeah, so the active approach of the fund screens out companies that engage in certain unacceptable activities that could have a negative effect on the environment and society at large. Exclusions cover areas such as animal welfare, military, nuclear power, gambling, alcohol and tobacco. And also Aegon conduct an ethical and sustainable investing survey every two years to ask investors and advisors for feedback on their approach, which is then implemented into their process. The team believed that the benefits of investing ethically deepen their knowledge, strengthen their conviction and promote a long term focus for investment. So what areas is the fund currently favouring and could you give us some stock examples? Yeah, so the fund invests in a diverse portfolio of 70 holdings, made up primarily of UK mid-cap companies, as well as exposure to large-cap, AIM and small-cap companies. Top industry exposures within the fund 
include industrial goods and services, technology, financial services, and insurance. Also, some of the largest holdings include Relics, which is a multinational information and analytics company, Diploma, which is an international group of businesses supplying specialised technical products and services, and GB Group, which is an identity verification, location intelligence and fraud prevention company. Also, some of the current ethical and sustainable themes within the portfolio include education, good health and well-being, environment, climate change and renewable energy, social housing and infrastructure and software delivering solutions. And finally, how does the fund stand out from the crowd? Well, Aegon Ethical Equity features on the ACE40 as a UK equity adventurous option. It also falls within the ACE avoids category, meaning the fund screens out specific sectors considered to be unethical. The fund is managed by a highly experienced manager and team, and the investment process aims to generate outperformance for the fund at different stages of the economic cycle with performance driven primarily by stock selection. This, along with the fund's ethical process, could allow investors to be mindful of the environment and society whilst gaining a diversified exposure to the UK. That's all for this episode. I hope that you've enjoyed listening. And if that is the case, then please do give us a like, tell your friends and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Of course, you can find lots more investment insight and ideas at ii.co.uk. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Bye.